Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's September 25th, 2018, and that means there's only three months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we have a special guest appearance from Jeff Bam of the Nostalgia Podcast. We'll also take a look at the life and career of Mr. Christmas himself, Andy Williams. We'll also hear about an interesting version of a classic holiday treat, find a new way to get a Christmas tree, write another Christmas TV movie, and count down the top five versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Okay, let's start the show! show it's officially fall the leaves are changing the halloween candies in stores and the coffee shops have initiated a full code pumpkin spice we are officially in the gateway to the christmas season it's so close but not close enough which means i need a little christmas now we need a This tip comes from Seattle's premier shopping destination for, as they put it, impractical items that make life better, Archie McPhee. They have several oddball Christmas items you can order through their online store like giant googly eyes for your Christmas tree or a yodeling pickle ornament. But what caught my eye was their wide selection of candy cane flavors. Not satisfied with the peppermint, fruit, or cinnamon flavored candy cane options you find in your local store? Well, try some of these really unusual ones like bacon, rotisserie chicken, mac and cheese, or pickle flavor. Or if you're really brave, you could try their newest flavor, the clam decane. Yep, instead of having to heat up a bowl of New England chowder, you can enjoy this candy cane with all the delicious flavor of... What I meant to say is, the candy cane is the flavor of... Okay, okay. I'm okay. No, forget it. I can't do it. Go to the next segment. Somebody else take over. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> Have yourself a merry little Christmas. My favorite uh, Christmas song. My name is Jeff Bam. I am uh, a co-host of the Mousedalgia podcast, and I am... Uh, Really pleased to be here to talk to you about uh, my favorite Christmas song, which is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Um, so uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas has an interesting Genesis story. So it comes from the 1944 MGM movie musical Meet Me in St. Louis. So this famous song, uh, it's sung by the young Esther Smith to her even younger five-year-old sister, Tootie. Um, and so she's trying to cheer Tootie up when their family discovers that they're in all this trouble, right? So the, the two girls have learned that they're going to need to uproot their lives and leave St. Louis for New York after the new year because their father has to move the family. Uh, he's furthering his career. So And then to complicate things, Esther has fallen hard in love with the next door neighbor, uh, neighbor boy, John. Right. And so then Christmas Eve, John proposes to her and she accepts his marriage proposal. So the drama is intense, right? Even though she knows she's about to move far away and the situation is really dire, she accepts his proposal. And then Christmas Eve, the two girls, you know, they love their home and they're dreaming of visiting the World's Fair, which is about to open in St. Louis. So, you know, they're about to be uprooted and little Tootie is just openly despondent. So the song, um, Esther singing it on Christmas Eve to her little baby sister. And it's kind of this soothing moment between the siblings, but understated. It's, it's really sad. It's like a, a lamentation, right? Of the, the gloomy family circumstances that these two sisters find themselves uh, facing that holiday. So this is perhaps an unexpected setting for the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. The song was written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine as part of the musical Meet Me in St. Louis uh, back in the early 1940s. And then if you fast forward to just a decade ago, ASCAP named the song the third most performed Christmas song 
which is kind of a fascinating statistic, right, for this short little song that wasn't even composed specifically as a holiday tune. Um, in fact, the original version of the song was really um, quite the lamentation. I mean, I guess that's the best word to describe it. It even had the lyric, um, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Next year, we may all be living in the past. So, um the song, of course, was changed from this woeful song to a slightly more hopeful tune, but it still kind of captures that sorrow the sisters are facing um, because their future is very uncertain, right, when the song comes up. So once the song became popular for the holidays, another alternate lyric was eventually written um, because then they changed the, the lyric, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow to hang a shining star upon the highest bough. So um, while this has become the more popular lyric of the two stanzas, I prefer the heart-wrenching muddle, uh, muddle lyric because it's part of the original story, right? Which really marries well with the emotional melody line. Um, you know, I also think it's because all of us during the holidays, you know, we, we have a part of ourselves that we feel forced to tamp down and, and kind of hush up for all the holly jolly stuff. And the original lyric kind of gives you space to have this moment of grief in, in the holidays. Um, you know, cause otherwise the holidays are always shimmery and, and glistening, right? And who doesn't need an occasional moment to just let their grief out? And this song can let you do that, right? So without any further ado, here are my top five versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Number five. So number five is by the superb Mexican trio V Sounds. I think it comes from their album, Sweet Christmas Ukulele and Jazz. Um, their story, of course, starts with the familiar They Were a YouTube Sensation narrative, right? And by posting an Adele cover song in 2011, they they went viral all over Latin America. And um, eventually, they also got a pretty large following over stateside, too. So they have gold and platinum albums. They have a dedicated fan base. But you could still kind of consider them under the radar in America to a degree. So their version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas uses this perfectly arranged instrumentation. So it's still jazzy, but it totally stays out of the way of the singer. And uh, the singer's name is Angela. She sings kind of like Ariana G, but slightly less pretentious, if you can kind of hear that in your head. I, I really love her voice. And um, she was chosen to sing the main song for the Tinkerbell movie, the Spanish version, um, in 2012. So that's just a little trivia. Um, but I really love her voice and the way she puts the song together. So number five, V Sounds. Number four. My number four favorite version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is from The Carpenters. This was on their 1978 album, Christmas Portrait. And um, I mean, there's no way for me to make this list without including the Carpenters. Who doesn't love the Carpenters? Uh, Karen Carpenter's rich alto vibrato. You know, if you can hear it in your head, it's so timeless, right? And they included this also this vintage sounding backing chorus. Well, vintage sounding. I mean, it was from 1978. So uh, really timely at the time, right? But it really emphasizes the male vocals. So it sets, you know, kind of sets apart Karen's vocal, and then there's these orchestrations that, that climb stairs and come down the stairs, you know, up and down the keys, right? Um, it maintains kind of the heft of an emotional song, because like we said, this is a very emotional song, but it kind of, it, it jettisons all the weight, so it doesn't have the sorrow, but it has this rich, buttery, like hot chocolate rendition of the track um, to keep a holiday metaphor going. Uh, I think you know, the sad story of Karen's passing away also kind of adds a bit of wistfulness to everything she sings, you know, at least to my perception as a listener. So in this case, um, it kind of adds works in the song's favor. So number four, The Carpenters. Number three. Uh, my number three favorite version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is Frank Sinatra's version. Through the years we all will be together If the fates allow 
Hang a shining star upon the highest bough and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. So you think of Frank Sinatra, it's again that timeless sound, right? So most of the time. If you're listening to like Elevator Muzak, it sounds like it's trying its best to take you to that time, that lost age. But Elevator Music really never gets on point with that, right? But Frank Sinatra, his version of this song, like the chorus soars and his voice is, is uh, what every elevator wishes it could play. Right? But it's but it's Frank, right? So it brings to mind, you know, you're walking under the tinsel garlands in the parking lot in the evening and the hustle and bustle of gift shopping in the decked out department store. And you smell those wool sweaters and the sounds of Christmas in the air and you see Santa holding court over there in the corner with all the lines of children waiting to share their gift lists. <laughs> yeah, that's where Frank's voice takes me, right? Sort of like a wistful reverie when I listen to his version of this song. I will say, you know, as far as the arrangement goes, there's kind of an unexpected subtle chord shift on the line, if the fates allow. So it kind of gives that that line a little bit of a melancholy spin. And, um, you know, when you're thinking about Man, I, I, you know, I wish I could see everyone I love, but only if fate allows, that can even bring you to tears, right? Even, you know, even though Frankie's is up a little bit, he takes out that muddle, right, and um, puts in the Shining Star lyric. Actually, that was written for Frank, uh, Frank Sinatra's version of this song, because he wanted to lighten the overall mood. He didn't like that. It, you know, we'll have to muddle through. He wanted to have that uplifting lyric, and that's in there. So it's, you know, a solid take on this holiday classic. Number two. So my number two favorite version of Have Yourself a Merry Christmas is Judy Garland's original version. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. Judy Garland, of course, was Esther in Meet Me in St. Louis in the 1944 musical film. Um, next year, all our troubles will be miles away, right? So when Judy is singing this, and then she kind of gazes off, lost in her melancholy dreams, uh, your heart kind of sinks. I, you know, I was watching this on YouTube, and commentator Taylor said, this is the only version that matters. I kind of agree with that. You know, then, you know, Judy sings, someday soon, we all will be together if the fates allow until then we'll have to muddle through somehow, right? You finally, you, you really realize what she's singing about, you know, our troubles will be out of sight. She really knows our troubles are not out of sight and we really don't know what's going to come for our future. And it really gives the song its original kind of um, emotional weight. I've heard that when Judy Garland went to perform this song at the Hollywood Canteen in the 40s, for it was a club in Hollywood for servicemen getting ready to go off to war, that um, they literally, more of them were crying than not in that nightclub, like the soldiers when she sang this song. So, so in the film, there's Judy. She has this dazzling red Christmas party dress on, and she's singing to Tootie, and Tootie is literally crying while Judy's kind of playing Tootie's music box and trying to cheer her up. And I, I dare you to watch this without openly weeping. Double dog dare you. Number one. And then my number one favorite version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and asterisk. This is like my list at this moment. I have dozens of versions of this song on my iTunes playlist. And I, you know, I go through favorites. I got to admit, this is just kind of my favorites at the moment. But my number one favorite, I kind of keep going back to this song. It's Christina Aguilera. Hang a So one time, Mouseketeer Christina Aguilera, she needs no introduction, right? We all know Christina. <laughs> Christina. Um, there's lots of female vocalists that do these falsetto gymnastic things with their voice, right? And many of them have recorded this song, too. So you can get plenty of those diva versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But Christina is like, in my opinion, she's just one in a million. She's not like Mariah. Like, I can listen to Christina kicking overdrive with these vocal riffs. And I never feel like 
I mean, she's showing off, but I don't ever feel like she's showing off for the sake of her ego. I feel like she's showing off for the sake of the song, if that subtle distinction can um, be made. I mean, and then she adds this emotional punch by, at the end, she goes back to the muddle verse. So not only does she have the emotion in the song all the way through with the high, you know, and she uses Frank Sinatra's, you know, Hang a Shining Star on the highest bow, but then after a little musical interlude, she comes back and she puts this muddle through, right? And it, in my opinion, gives it a little heft, a little emotional weight. And so... Um, so when she kicks the, the key change off for this model coda and then just bounces all over the melody, you know, like Christina will do in and out of her falsetto, like I can hardly keep from literally clapping for the radio, clapping for Alexa. And this is my, my go-to version of the song every year. Christina is on point. Uh, my vision goes all red and green when her voice floats out of my echo. And uh, bonus points also. She has a live version with Brian McKnight that you can listen to on YouTube. And I mean, it gets even deeper into these riffs and runs all over the melody. It is super good stuff. So there are my five favorite versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Uh, I hope you all have a very merry little Christmas. And it's just been my pleasure to share this with you. Whew, thanks, Jeff. You saved the show. Just to let you know how this all came about, uh, back when Jeff was on this show the first time, back in 2016, uh, he mentioned that Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was his favorite Christmas song, and that he had created a mixtape with dozens of different versions of the song. So I said, I gotta get him back on the show one day, because I knew it would be interesting to have him count down his five favorites, and I was so right! Jeff, you did such a great job on that segment, and I couldn't be more grateful. This is what happens when a pro comes to play, my merry friends. As always, you can get more of Jeff, along with Dave, Becky, and our own band leader, Kristen, at the Mousedalgia Podcast, available at Mousedalgia.com or wherever quality podcasts are downloaded. Be sure and send Jeff some love for being a part of our reindeer games. Speaking of sending love, you were good enough to send me some love, so let's hear about it as we open up Santa Bab's Mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets. Or Facebook messages to Santa Bab. He is opening up his mailbag tonight. This letter is from Brighton, who writes, Dear Tim Bab, as always, thank you very much for the podcast. I look forward to it as much as I do Mousedalgia. Side note, that is some good company to be in. The only problem is it's a lot harder to let episodes build up to binge on later. Darn your perfectly reasonable monthly release schedule. So what is the official start of Christmas? Is it 12 days before? Is it the day after Thanksgiving? The day after Halloween? When Christmas items start appearing in stores? Or is it when people preparing Christmas products have to start the production in order to be ready for the season? For me this year, it's the latter, with production being the key word. At the end of August, auditions were held for the Woodland Opera House's Christmas season production of Meet Me in St. Louis, the musical. If you don't recall, it's based on the 1940s movie musical starring Judy Garland, which introduced Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas to the World. I did get selected for the ensemble, and the first rehearsal is tomorrow. So this year, the Christmas season for me begins September 10th, which gives me a nice little jingle smile. Of course, one might make the argument that Christmas season actually begins when you start listening to Christmas-related podcasts. Maybe the real question should be, when does the Christmas season end? Let me consult my waiter calendar. Hmm. It's only a brief period between Metuary and Bletober. I can live with that. Sincerely, Brighton. Thanks, Brighton. Looks like a lot of us have got Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on the brain today. As for the start of the Christmas season, I feel like that's something I might devote some time to on a future show. I feel like there's a lot of controversy about when the official start to Christmas is. Like, I've seen things, like you said, like 12 days before Christmas, the day after Thanksgiving, a start of September. I've even seen one comment that said the official start should be December 24th. Um, no. Then there's folks like us, whose answer to when does the Christmas season start is always two weeks ago, baby! <laughs> thanks again for writing in. And also, thanks to all of you who've been leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, like Rebecca, who left a review and then wrote in to get her free button. When she did, she said, Season's greetings, Tim. I just wanted to reach out and tell you how thankful I am for you and your podcast. I would even go so far as to claim that it's the most wonderful pod on the web. That should be sung to the tune of, well, you know. I mean, she, I had to sing it. She wrote it in the parentheticals. Anyway, she says, Christmas is my absolute everything. The joy and hope of Christmas is truthfully what keeps me going. I am like the Energizer Bunny of Christmas. I have always lived in the we need a little Christmas now mentality. So much so that I never took down my bedroom Christmas tree after last Christmas. Yes, I put up multiple trees for the season. When I discovered your podcast on August 22nd, 2018, I felt as if I came across the Holy Grail. I have become so enamored by this podcast that as of today, September 5th, 2018, I have completely caught up. That's right, I listened to all 41 episodes in two weeks. 
I could go on forever about my love of Christmas, but I will save that for the My Merry Christmas forums that I also found because of you. Just wanted to reach out and say thank you for understanding us Christmas crackers and giving us what we deserve. I hope eventually everyone will understand that Christmas isn't just a day, it's a frame of mind. And then she put a Santa Claus emoji. Thank you for keeping me laughing all the way. Much love, Rebecca. Much love back at you, Miss Rebecca. That is a lot of Tim Bab to subject yourself to in just two weeks. I hope there were no side effects. I noticed you referred to yourself as a Christmas cracker, and that leads us to a very specific corner of the mailbag, feedback from our last show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. Feedback on our last show. See, last show, uh, Glenn wrote in and asked what people who are big Christmas fans should be called. And so many waiters stepped up with suggestions. Tony says, here's an option for a person looking for a nickname for a person that loves Christmas. Festifile. Then Marsha added, you've heard of the 49ers. How about the 25thers for Christmas lovers? Then Arthur joined in with, here are my suggestions for a good name for a diehard Christmas fan. Yule Fool, a Christmas Crazy, a Noel Nut, or a Jingle Bell Junkie. (laughs) Then Cameron said, years ago, I coined the term perpetual for myself. I figured it was appropriate since I had been perpetually celebrating Christmas for a long time. My wife thinks it's silly, but I think it fits nicely. Not to be outdone, Art chimes in with, My sister suggested Christmas crackers, which I kind of liked. And then she added the tagline, We celebrate 1225-365. And that brings us back to Christmas crackers, which is what Rebecca said in her letter, and it all comes full circle. A lot of good ideas in there. Not sure how to pick just one. Although, Yule Fool did give me a good laugh. If nothing else, I'm going to start using that as a Christmas greeting. What's up? It's Yule Fool! Anyway, also on our last show, we talked about Elf on a Shelf, and I asked for your thoughts on it. Todd said, We have Elf on a Shelf, and it's a complete chore. My five-year-old loves it, so we do the best we can with it. We limited the time to the week before Christmas. Leslie was one of the few defenders of E on the S, saying, We started Elf on a Shelf with our son Logan last year. He was four and a half. Our elf arrived the night before Thanksgiving, rang our doorbell and everything, winky face emoji, and we absolutely love it. Logan named him Clark. No, not after Superman, but after a street. Shoulder shrug emoji. And that's when he came alive and started watching and listening. No, we can't touch him, but we can talk to him, and we read the book every night until Christmas. It's really rather sweet. It's not even September yet, and I'm already talking about when Clark will come back. We here can't wait for Christmas, and I'm already planning some fun things. Is it Christmas yet? (laughs) Shannon also took the elf side, saying, So I hated Elf on the Shelf, too, when my girls were little. Santa surveillance? More things to, uh, manifest? No thank you. But one day at Costco in 2012, my girls wore me down and talked me into getting our elf, now known as Sugar Plum Twinkle Toes, or Elfie for short. And you know what? He's a ton of fun. We all look forward to him joining us in December, and my youngest especially likes to remember his goofy shenanigans. Last year's highlights included sticking bows all over the kitchen, taking all the socks in the house and piling them on the coffee table, and riding the ceiling fan like a crazed adrenaline junkie. He even came to Disney World with us in 2016. Our elf doesn't creepily watch you, he's just here to help celebrate and be silly. He also will occasionally take messages to Santa for us, which encourages letter writing and almost lost art that is good practice for both imagination and handwriting skills. So much of the world is hard and cynical these days, I say grab the magic where you can get it, and elf for us is definitely part of that magic. Also, our elf moves and can be handled. Part of the fun is playing with him. See, I like that. I like that, Shannon. I like that the elf doesn't just monitor and report. You give him the letters and he, or, or she, takes the letters to the North Pole for you. I'm fully on board with his idea. Oh, and the last episode, I also mentioned how much I like those elf-on-the-shelf puns that people do, and Jim left a comment that was right up my alley. He says, A couple of years ago, I balanced a Disney ornament on the edge of my martini glass and snapped a picture of the result. Instead of elf-on-a-shelf, I have tink-on-a-drink. Beautiful. Before we move on, I got another comment I wanted to share. It's from Wes, who says, I think the real question on everyone's mind is, will we ever see the return of random prospector guy from the Christmas 2017 episode? Easily the best imaginary listener. Hmm, that's a good question, Wes. Prospector guy, are you going to ever come on the show again? You bet I will, partner! Great. Actually, I have one more piece of listener mail, but it will fit better into our next segment, All I Want for Christmas is News. All I Want for Christmas is Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Would you please stop it? Sorry. I don't think he is sorry. But anyway, this story comes to us from Brock. 
He says he thought of me when he saw this story. Apparently, Amazon is going to be delivering trees this year. By Amazon, I, I mean the website, not the geographical location. And by trees, I mean real, live Christmas trees. At first blush, this seems like a horrible idea to me. Half the fun of picking a tree is seeing it, touching it, smelling it. How do you know how a tree is really going to look if it just shows up in a box sight unseen? I don't think this will catch on. But then again, I didn't think shopping for music, movies, clothes, or toys online was going to catch on, so clearly, I know nothing. Well, that's not entirely true. I do know some things. Like, I know it's time for our feature segment, a salute to the man they called Mr. Christmas, Andy Williams. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. So a lot of popular artists perform Christmas songs, and if they're lucky, one of their Christmas songs gets thrown into the rotation every year. But as tastes in popular music change and new generations drive what is popular, their non-Christmas music fades from the public memory. After a while, you get a generation that only knows the artist as the one who sings that Christmas song. Now, this effect is going to vary for how old you are. Like, for me, Mariah Carey was the soundtrack to my high school years. But I'm sure for my sons, she'll be that Christmas lady. All this is to say that Andy Williams falls into that category for me. Now, I'm sure if you're older than me, or more in touch with things musically, what I've just said is worse than tasting a clam-flavored candy... Nope, I thought I could do it. Whew, sorry. Nope, can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Back to Andy Williams. Anyway, I decided I would change this and learn about Andy Williams' life and career. All of it. Not just the Christmas stuff, but of course, we're going to focus on that Christmas stuff too. But first, let's hear about how it all began from the man himself. Well, I was lived in a small town, a large family, a very loving family. Uh, it was during the Depression years. I was born in 1927, right in the end of the Depression. And uh, it, hit the, it hit America quite, a, quite hard. A lot of people were out of work, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people you'd see drifting across the Midwest, finding someplace, you know, to go where they could start over again or, or find a job or find do something. And uh, so we were poor, like everybody was poor. And we didn't know it. We thought we were just fine. As long as we had something to eat, we were fine. And um, children don't know they're poor. You know, you wear your hand-me-down clothes and they're, as long as they're neat and clean and they're, they've been mended and socks are all matching. <laughs> matching. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> Kids don't care. Yeah, and and uh, we started singing in the church and my father had this idea that we could become singers and become popular group and got us into Des Moines, Iowa and on the radio. And we did radio for years and years and years and maybe 10 years before we moved to California. So Andy and his three brothers, Don, Bob, and Dick, formed a quartet called the Williams Brothers. Before they made that move to California, they were regulars on the radio in Des Moines, Iowa, then Chicago, Illinois, and finally Cincinnati, Ohio. Once they got to California, they landed a contract with MGM Studios and appeared in several movies. That's also how they landed a gig singing backup for Bing Crosby on the 1944 song, Swingin' on a Star. Oh, would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar. Or would you rather be a pig? It was while working for MGM that they caught the attention of Kay Thompson. She added the boys to her choir at MGM, and when their MGM contract ended, she decided to take the boys out on the road as a nightclub act, Kay Thompson and the Williams Brothers. An amazingly creative name there. Andy and Kay also developed a romantic relationship, despite the fact that they were nearly 20 years apart in age. But hey, I'm not judging. And even many years later, it was clear how much Andy admired Kay. She was very kind to me and helped me a great deal when I was starting out on my solo career. Did arrangements for me, uh, wrote some special material for me, helped get me into my first job at the Blue Angel, even, all, even, even during the Steve Allen Tonight times. She would work with me on vocal arrangements and things, and I'd take them in and get somebody to arrange them you know, for the band. She was a great influence on me and got me my record contract with Cadence. Very nice lady, very wonderful person. They toured all over the country very successfully until Andy's brothers decided they were done with the music scene. Then Andy was faced with a dilemma. He was trained as a group singer, but now he was without a group. He decided to strike out on his own. He was touring some, as he called them, rough clubs. And as a struggling stand-up comic, I can certainly relate to working in some rough places when you're trying to make a name for yourself. Unless, of course, Andy has a story that he told on the Michael Parkinson show that makes my experience sound downright pleasant by comparison. I used to work in, in uh, a tuxedo. 
and I was working in this one little place in uh, Pittsburgh. I'll never forget it. I was standing by the cash register, ready to go on, and the man was introducing me. And I was so worried about getting fired or losing my job, and I was about to go on. He said, uh, here's a young man that I heard sing in New York, and I felt this gun in my back. And the guy said, uh, open the cash register. And he thought I was the maitre d'. Because I was the only one with a tuxedo on. And I said, I don't know how to open this cash register. He said, I'm telling you, open it up or, you know, you're going to get it. And about that time, the guy said, here he is, Andy Williams. I said, excuse me, I've got to go on. <laughs> and I went on stage. And when I got up there, I looked around and he's still standing there with his gun, very uh, confused and, and not knowing what to do. He couldn't believe that I was uh, willing to get shot rather than get fired. <laughs> okay. I guess this goes without saying, but I should never compare my life experiences to those of Andy Williams. Are you saying you never had a face down a gun in one of those rootin' tootin' Wild West comedy shows you did? Nope, the closest I can come is when a beer glass dropped on stage next to me in a show in Utah. Weak sauce, partner! Yeah. Anyway, grinding away in those rough clubs eventually paid off for Williams. His friend saw him perform in a club, and his friend happened to be a producer for Steve Allen's Tonight Show. And that's how Andy Williams started appearing regularly on The Tonight Show. During that time, he'd gotten a few record deals. He moved between a few different labels in the beginning, partially because they were making odd choices, like releasing his first Christmas single only a few days before Christmas so nobody had a chance to buy it, or trying to fit Andy into a style that wasn't his strength. He told the story one time where his manager brought him a song they wanted Andy to sing, and initially, Andy declined. The song was more an Elvis Presley style, which was popular at that time, but not really Andy's typical singing style. So his manager said, if you don't want a hit record, I'll just give the song to somebody else. So it turns out Andy did want a hit record, so he recorded the song, and he did indeed get a hit with the song Butterfly. You tell me you love me, you say you'll be true, then you fly around with somebody new, but I'm crazy about you, you butterfly. Between the steady stream of top 100 hits and his regular appearances on The Tonight Show, Andy Williams was making a name for himself. He got asked to do a 13-week summer replacement series for Pat Boone on ABC. That went fairly well. In fact, the next year, CBS asked him to replace Gary Moore for the summer, and his replacement show was so popular that NBC gave him his own show in 1962. But before that show hit the air, a little movie called Breakfast at Tiffany's would change his life forever. In the film, Audrey Hepburn sang the song Moon River. The song was nominated for an Oscar for Best Song. The Academy asked Andy Williams to perform the song at the Academy Awards ceremony that year. Fortunately, Andy thought ahead and recorded a studio version of the song before his Academy Awards performance. It dropped the day after the awards and was a huge smash hit, so much so that Andy started off every episode of his TV show with the first eight bars of Moon River. Moon River, wider than a mile, I'm crossing you in style someday. You heartbreaker, wherever you're going, I'm going your way. The song Moon River became so synonymous with Andy Williams that he would title his autobiography Moon River and Me, and when he opened his own theater in Branson, Missouri, he called it the Moon River Theater. Branson, Missouri? That's country music land! That's what Andy thought, but his brother convinced him he could do well there. I came down here because my brother Don was managing a guy named Ray Stevens, who's a great country artist. And I knew him very well, and Don said, uh, you ought to come down and see what's happening in Branson. It's all country, but you ought to see it. I mean, they got four million people that come here a year. Well, now, you know, 14 years later, they have over seven million. People visit uh, Branson every year. And it's getting bigger all the time. But after I opened here um, and was successful, then a lot of people came. Wayne Newton came. I mean, people that weren't uh, country. The Osmond brothers were the first ones who called me and said, do you think we'd do well there? I said, great. And then, because you've been on television so much and you're such big stars, you know, that even the country people know you. That's why I figured with, with myself. I mean, even... Even the country people must have seen me sometime on television. It was on nine years. And um, sold millions and millions of records, so they obviously have heard me. And uh, Don says, I think uh, 
I think they'll come and see you. I'm quite sure they will. So I built the theater not knowing, but uh, they did. They did come. Now it's about half and half, half country and half pop. But back to his variety show. It ran for nine years and was a great success as well. Not a ratings juggernaut, but very respectable. He had great and varied guests from the Jackson 5, Elton John, and the Bee Gees to Ella Fitzgerald, Dick Van Dyke, Bob Hope, and Judy Garland. Fun fact, the Andy Williams Show introduced the world to the Osmonds. The show won three Emmy Awards for Outstanding Variety Series. And speaking of awards, Andy never won a Grammy, but he was nominated six times for hits like The Hawaiian Wedding Song, Danny Boy, and Days of Wine and Roses. He also was a very popular host of the Grammys. In fact, he hosted the show seven years in a row, and I believe he still remains the individual who has hosted the mosted. Host, hosted the, he, he hosted the Grammys the most. In addition to being a big hit here in America, he also got a lot of love in the UK. In fact, even though his heyday was in the 60s and 70s, he made a huge comeback in the UK in 1999. A Fiat commercial featured his 1967 song, Music to Watch Girls By, and the song went all the way to number 9 on the charts, which was especially impressive considering it peaked at number 33 back in 1967. The boys watch the girls while the girls watch the boys who watch the girls go by. I do I. They solemnly convene to make the scene Which is the name of the game Watch a guy or watch a dame on any street in town Up and down And over and across Romance's boss That's a lot of background, and there's still more I haven't even covered, like his great friendship with Robert Kennedy, the fact that he testified in his ex-wife's murder trial, and the fact that he owned more than a million dollars worth of Navajo blankets. But... You know the name of this podcast, and you know what we're here to talk about. How did Andy Williams come to be known as Mr. Christmas? It really stems from the yearly Christmas specials on the Andy Williams show. came about because Christmas, uh, you know, was one of the weeks that we did our show, you know. And so when, when uh, December came about, and, you know, we thought, well, we got better do something for Christmas, you know. Um, we did a Christmas show. And we didn't have my family on it. It was just... Fred McMurray was on, and uh, the Osmond brothers, I think, and um, we had the Osmond's parents were on. They played saxophones with Fred McMurray. It was funny. Um, And then the next year, I brought on uh, my wife and our first baby. Claudine was uh, my wife's name. And then, then, I guess from then on, we started bringing the family on. My mother and father, my brothers, we sang together again for the first time like in years and years and years on the Christmas shows. They were also, and then my nieces and nephews, and um, it, was, it was fun. And it just developed, uh, it become a completely family Christmas show. And year after year, our regular viewers would, would look forward to the Christmas show to see how the children had grown and what was happening with the, with the family and with my brothers, and we'd sing some songs, and, you know, it was wonderful. Yes, the Christmas specials. They started as just a normal episode set at Christmas time, but blossomed into a televised Williams family gathering, and the public ate it up. They even continued for a few years after the show went off the air. According to our friends over at ChristmasTVHistory.com, Williams' holiday shows were usually the highest-rated installments of each season, and included elaborate costumes, sets, and even special effects. But it was a song that was written for the second Christmas special that cemented Andy Williams as a Christmas icon. It's the song you're wondering how I could have gotten this far into the episode without playing. Well, I'll play a taste of it for you now and let Andy tell you how it came to be. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year George Weil, who was a vocal director, uh, who wrote all of the choir stuff and all of the all of the duets and, and trios and things that were that I did with all the guests, he wrote a song just for the show. I think the second Christmas show we did called "Most Wonderful Time of the Year." So I did that, you know, every Christmas, and then other people started doing it. And suddenly, it's become not suddenly, but over the 30 years has become a big standard. It's, uh, I think it's one of the top 10 Christmas songs of all time now. All came about from the show. 
Now, I would say that's the majority of people's favorite Andy Williams Christmas song, and with good reason. But I have to say, for me personally, it might be tied with Happy Holidays, the holiday season. It's the holiday season. The holiday season. So hoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock. Don't forget to hang up your socks just exactly at 12 o'clock. You'll be coming down the chimney, coming down the chimney, coming down the chimney, down. Anytime you can work whoop-dee-doo into your song and still sound cool, you got a real winner on your hands. Another big Christmas hit for Andy Williams was a special version of Jingle Bells written by his old partner, Kay Thompson. Oh, look who has to have his girlfriend write his hits for him. Hold on, partner. There ain't no need to diminish the contributions Miss Thompson brought to Andy Williams' career. Oh, sorry, it was just a joke. Even though they did have a romantic relationship at one point, she was really an excellent collaborative partner who helped his career a great deal. But just a few sentences ago, you reduced her down to just a simple girlfriend. Oh, I don't believe that. I was trying to make a satirical joke by saying something contrary to what I meant. Like, I was pretending to be a different character for that one-liner. Pretending to be a different character? I don't get it. That sounds ridiculous. Well, this got awkward. And speaking of awkward, The Andy Williams Show aired from 1962 to 1971. And as I mentioned, there were Christmas specials for a few years after it went off the air. Why is that awkward, you might ask? I didn't, but now I'm curious. Well, as we also mentioned, these Christmas specials were big Williams family affairs. But Williams and his wife, Claudette, separated in 1970 and eventually divorced in 1975. So how do you handle that in the Christmas specials that were so centered on family? I'll let Andy explain. NBC wanted me to continue doing the Christmas show, which was odd because I was separated from my wife then. But they didn't seem to care. They just wanted the Christmas show. We did that, I think, three years after the show went off. Well, we didn't pr- try and pretend that, it, that we were uh, together. Um, the Christmas show would take place in my mother and father's house. Claudine would arrive with the children, separate from me, and I was already in the house with my brothers and something like that. So, uh, and we were friendly on the show, as we were in private life. And I got a, I, uh, I mean, one time... Um, Warren Beatty said to me, I just love the Christmas show, the way they honesty about it, that there are couples who are divorced or separated, um, have children who get together at Christmas time, are happy, loving couples with their children. Uh, he said, I just love the idea that you, did that, that you do that. And I think a lot of people felt that way, too. They may have thought it was a little strange, but it happens. There are other, we weren't the only ones that... We're divorced or separated. I don't know whether we were divorced then or not. I don't think so. Uh, there are a lot of families, I think, that because of children get together. There are a lot of families who, who get, a lot of people who get divorced that are very friendly after they get divorced. And that's the way I, I am with Claudine. I have, always have been. So that's a little mini biography of Mr. Christmas, Andy Williams. To learn more about Mr. Williams, check out his autobiography, Moon River and Me, at your local library. It's also available on audiobooks, so you can actually have Andy Williams read it to you. There are also more of these interview clips I've been playing, and they're on YouTube, and I'll put a link in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com, and I hope you'll enjoy a little Williams goodness. I chose this as the topic today because Andy Williams passed away exactly six years ago on the day this episode drops. I'd like to think that I'm doing my very small part to help his legacy live on. And before we move on to the rest of the show, I'd like to play one more Williams song. It's not original of his, and he never released a studio album of it, but he sang it on one of his Christmas specials. And I found it when I first started doing research into Andy a few years ago. It's a song that really stuck with me as a song that could very well be the message of this podcast. I'll read a few of the lyrics. You feel the nicest feeling in the air around Christmas time. You get the warmest greetings full of holiday cheer. And wouldn't the world be a nice place to live in if everybody would be the nicest, warmest, friendliest, Christmassy sort of people every day of the year? Isn't that a great thought? Thanks, Andy. You feel the nicest feeling in the air around Christmas Day. You get the warmest greetings full of holiday cheer. And wouldn't the world be a nice place to live in if everybody would be the nicest, warmest, friendliest, Christmassy sort of people every day of the
And now it's time for our showdown feature, Who Sang It Best? I thought I'd try something different and combine our feature segment with our Five Golden Things segment for this round of Who Sang It Best. So the song in today's matchup is one we've heard a lot today, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Now, let's meet our contestants! In the red corner, it's a singer who topped Jeff Bam's list of favorite versions of this song, the former Mouseketeer, Christina Aguilera! corner. They call him Mr. Christmas, and you've just spent the last few minutes hearing about his life and career. It's Andy Williams! Here we are as in olden days Happy golden days of yours Faithful friends who are dear to us Gather near to us Now it's up to you to vote. Go to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com to listen to the full version of each song. Then you can vote once a day, every day. We'll announce the winner on our October 25th episode, so vote now and tell us who sang it best. Last but not least, it's time to put your filmmaker's hat on, because we're going to create a flick with all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. They're perfect Christmas fun, but sometimes you look at them and think, I could write this. So, we give you the chance. We took a basic template and asked you to fill in the blanks. Specifically, we posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that we were looking for a type of business, a city, a noun, another noun, a verb in the past tense, and a job. And boy, did you come through. Thanks to Stephanie, Mike, Linda, Justin, Sherry, Lindsay the first, Todd, Andrew, Charlotte, Nate, Lindsay the second, Arthur, Sean, Barrett, Holly, Kelly, Christine, Clinton, and Rich. But that's just Facebook. Also thanks to Luke, Blake, Sean, Rebecca, Sydney, Jules, Joe, Evan, Steve, and it's a 90s Christmas podcast. Between all of these wonderful folks, we got Comic Book Store, Santa Claus, Indiana, Massage Bed, Ping Pong Balls, Escaped, and NFL Referee. You put it all together and you get our latest TV movie masterpiece, A Massage Bed for Christmas. Charlotte, the manager of McSydney's flagship comic book store, is determined to land the manager position for their new Santa Claus, Indiana location. She sets out to impress Lindsay, the store's owner, by creating the best holiday massage bed in McSydney's history. Fresh out of ping pong balls, despite assuring Lindsay otherwise, Claudette turns to a recently escaped store employee, Joe, who also happens to be a talented NFL referee and single dad to his young son. Boom. There you have it. I mean, that's a baby's breath away from being total nonsense, but tell me you don't want to find out how an NFL ref is going to help build a Christmas massage bed for a comic book shop. Also, spoilers, I'm guessing Charlotte isn't going to move to Santa Claus, Indiana. She's going to move in with Joe. Yeah, I'm calling it now. I haven't even looked at the script, but I'm calling it now. I've seen some Hallmark movies in my day. I know what's up. And that's going to do it for today's show. I'd like to once again thank Mr. Jeff Bam of the Nostalgia Podcast for coming on today and sharing his favorite versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Speaking of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, don't forget to vote for your favorite of the two versions competing at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And if you're in the mood to hear more of my lips flapping in your ear, you're in luck. It's an unofficial crossover week this week. I joined the gang over at Tis the Podcast to talk about Mickey's Christmas Carol. That conversation was a lot of fun, and the episode is live now. You can find the direct link in the show notes of this episode. And if you're in the mood to hear me talk about one of my other loves besides Christmas, Star Trek, you can check that out on the Prime Direction Podcast. Again, there's a direct link in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And that's... It for this episode. Stay merry, my friends, and remember, it's you fools. Keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983.
Actually, Dad, it's 2018. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at christmaspod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. I was really hoping to have some outtakes of Jeff on this episode, but the man just turned in 100% gold and no mess-ups. He didn't come here to goof, he came here to gift. Gift us with a great Five Golden Things segment. Muchos gracias, señor Bam. Welcome to the show! <clears throat> Welcome to the show! Ah, oh, gosh! My voice is changing! Oh, no, forget it, forget it! Dude, go to, go to the next segment! Oh, somebody else take over! <laughs> I mean, that is 100% a ripoff of a Stephen Colbert bit. I'll, I'll even put the link in the show notes, which will make no sense if you don't sit through the outtakes. Like, why is this random Stephen Colbert bit? In the show notes, that's why, because I 100% ripped that bit off, because uh, it's like a it's like a 11-year-old bit, but it is so funny. Ugh, makes me laugh. And uh, I thought I'd try it out, and it also made a beautiful segue into Jeff's bit, and, I mean, that's a win-win-win. Win-win-win, win-win-win, winny-win-win-win-win. Be sure and send Jeff, be sure and send Jeff some love for being a part of our mayor. <laughs> Be sure and send Jeff some love and send me a tongue so I can read these words. Nope, the closest I can come to a story like that is when a beer glass dropped on the stage next to me in a show in Idaho. 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 First of all, Idaho is not a place. Second of all, it was in Utah.